You know, there's, there's so many things about Scripture that is, that is so incredible. But the, the thing that, that hit me as we've been talking about this is that there's an underlying theme all through Scripture, all through the Bible, all through the Word of God, that, where, that even where there seems to be no hope, that He is the God of hope. The whole theme of this book is bringing hope where there's no hope. So I was thinking about that, and so this morning as I was working on this, as I, as I said last week, if you look at it, there's like 154 times in Scripture that the word hope is used, depending upon your translation, some a little more, some a little less, but that is the theme. And so I was like, how do I wrap this up? And I thought of something. So this morning I have some bad news, some good news, and some great news. Here's the bad news. You and I are dying. Matter of fact, we know that, that as we're sitting here, some of your cells are actually dying. Yeah. But here's the good news. You're being restored. As cells die off, they're being replaced. Biologists actually tell us that every seven years, you're basically a new person. But I discovered something about cells being replaced. It seemed like the older I get, they keep being replaced with inferior ones. <laughs> but that's not, here's the best part, though. Here's the best news. <clears throat> you and I can be made new. I mean, what a time for a life to be made new this morning. The Bible says that we are a new creature, a new creation, and that the old things will pass away and all things will become new. You see, that's the promise we have. That's the hope we have. Even if things don't go like we desire as we walk our lives here on this earth, we still have a hope because we know that the day will come that not only will we get to be with him in heaven, but that we will get an all-new, brand-new body with upgraded cells. So we can always have that hope. And so here's what I want you to hold on to today. This hope that we've been talking about, this hope, uh, this, this idea of, of one day rising again and, and being made new, is all because of the price that Jesus paid. So we talk about hope, remember this. Hope looks different from the perspective of eternity. How many know that sometimes we get so caught up at looking at hope through the filter of this life and this world? And that's good. Jesus brings that. That's part of it. But when you look at it through the filter of eternity... We are never without hope. No matter how dire the circumstances, we're never without hope. And so as I begin to think about that and begin to work on the message this week, looking at a bunch of those scriptures that I told you have the word hope in them throughout the Bible, I came across John, uh, Romans 15, 13. And the more I read this one, the more I realize there is so much packed in this one little verse. 
Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope. I, that, you stop at that first part. May the God of hope. That's who he is. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. There's a lot of hope crammed into that verse, isn't there? But here's the best part. The word abound is not, it's not a word we use every day, but literally the word abound means overflowing. Let that be a mental picture in your mind. Think about that. So today I've given today's message the title, Hope Overflow. Don't you like it when we have things overflow? Wouldn't you like it if your bank account overflowed? If the bank called you and said, you know, I, we know you've got this account, but your bank account's so overflowing, we need to open another one for you because we can't contain it all in, in this, you know. So this morning, my deep desire is that each of us leave with an overflow of hope that can carry you, that can lift us up, that can let us walk out even in those difficult times with our head held high because we know that we have hope. <clears throat> I was thinking about that, and, you know, Kim and I love pastoring this church. We love the people that are here. <clears throat> there are people that are part of this church that are closer than anybody else on the, fam- on the planet. We consider this our family. When we get a chance to go hang out with people, we don't think, hey, let's go hang out with somebody else. We think, we think of somebody in here that we can spend time with because it's that kind of a family. But because of that, because we feel, in a sense, a level of responsibility that God's called us to to pray for and lift people up, you can imagine that in our lives, many times in in the course of one evening, we can get a text that kind of brings us down a little bit emotionally as we're concerned for something that's happening in somebody's life. Or we get, a, we get a message that of some good news in somebody's life and, and we rejoice with that person. Every now and then we get some great news or some real breakthrough in somebody's life and we celebrate just like anybody else. But there are moments that just like you, we get those gut punches that something comes in. There's somebody that we love and care for and they're going through a difficult time and we just stop and we pray. See, there's something, but you know what? The more I think about that for us as individuals, how much more for our Heavenly Father? See, when we face things, it's not that He's not up there. He's not looking down at us. He's not saying that, that He has no compassion or no care, that He doesn't watch over us. But I've wondered sometimes, because I've seen people, I've seen, I've seen miracles that God has done. I've seen people healed. We've experienced miracles in our life. And sometimes you pray and you pray for a miracle. And it doesn't come and you wonder why. We're all guilty sometimes of saying, God, why? Why did you allow that to happen? Why did they have to walk through that? When on the other hand, we just prayed for somebody and they got this incredible miracle. Kim and I are headed to a baby shower this afternoon that's exciting because if you remember, we did the combined service with some other churches and several of us gave our testimonies. And Kim, 
gave her, Kim and I gave the testimony that night of how that Kim was healed of asthma years ago and how that she was on the massive dose of the maximum dose of Advair and all the stuff that, that went around with that and how that God miraculously healed her and set her free. And we gave a testimony that night. And that night after the testimony, we had a couple come up during the time of prayer that came forward and they said this. They said, we want prayer because the doctors have said, we've tried everything medically possible and the doctors say that there's no way we can ever have a child we prayed we're going to the baby shower this afternoon so you have those then you have the ones who are like God well why didn't you move there so how can we maintain this flow of hope and, and peace despite sometimes what we see with our eyes how can we still recommend this hope for others when we're going through a difficult time ourselves But not only does hope look different from the perspective of eternity, we also need to understand that hope is not the belief that all things will turn out like we want them, but that it will all make sense in the end. Because hope looks different from the perspective of eternity. And so we have to lay hold of that. You know, we read in God's Word, we can see that He never failed anyone. You can walk through this book again and again, and never, ever, ever has He failed anybody that put their trust in Him. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't go through difficult times. You see, Joseph, God gave a dream to him. You'll be ruler over all this, you know, all this God's, everybody's going to bow down before you. And yet it went from that dream to being sold into slavery, to being put in jail, all those things. That was stuff he went through to get to what God promised him, but his promises were still true. We face things sometimes. There's stuff we go through, but we can still be overflowing with hope. And so what I want us to look at, I was just thinking about that whole verse, John 15, 13. Think about it. What's the first thing he says? That may the God of hope. He is the God of hope. That's who he is. The question is not if, if he wants to fill you with joy and peace. He's the God of hope. That's what he does. And this hope comes from the knowledge. Think of this. Hope comes from the knowledge that nothing ever surprises God. God never says, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. It catches us by surprise. It causes us difficulties. It knocks us back on our heels. But it doesn't ever surprise him. And you know what? When something hits us, he's already got the plan in place to work it out. We just have to trust. So I was thinking about that. I thought of the story in Scripture of King Jehoram. He was the king of Israel when the when the kingdom was split. When you had Judah split from Israel, and and um, and Israel set up King Jehoram. They they had their capital set up in Samaria. Now, this poor king, he didn't exactly have the best start because Ahab and Jezebel was his parents. 
That's a bad start. Now, Elijah had come along, and they had the showdown on Mount Carmel, and all these things took place. God moved mightily. The, the prophets of Baal were wiped out, and, and, and that's done. And so he steps up as king, and, and part of that was done, but he had this problem. He continued the act. He himself worshipped the golden calf. I mean, why will that thing go away, right? And so because of that, Judgment was sent on Israel. And King Benadab of Syria surrounded and laid, laid siege to Samaria. And things got bad. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that things got so bad that the people were starving. And because the you know, sieges, they're surrounded. They can't get stuff in or out of the city. They, they're shut up there. But you can imagine over a period of time... Things begin to be an issue. Think of this, all right? Look at this. A donkey head at that time. I'm talking, you're talking hungry. How many of you got to be hungry if you want to eat a donkey head, right? A donkey head was worth 80 shekels of silver. All right? Pigeon dung was worth five silver shekels that's hungry I'm not going to go into some of the other details that are there you can read it for yourself but it got pretty horrible so here that's that's the 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 thing the city surrounded it seems that there is no hope at all and just like always the king wanted to blame Elisha the messenger as opposed to looking at his own issues Let's catch up with the story. 2 Kings 7, 1 and 2. But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a sea of fine flour will be sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain whose hand the king leaned on whom the king leaned, said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, Elisha, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. How many know that we can get in that position? We think the whole situation is so lost that even God couldn't work the situation out. Wrong. Wrong. I tell people all the time, no matter where you are, God can still work it out. If you'll trust and surrender to him. That doesn't mean, like we said, it's going to work out exactly like you want it to, but he will work it out. He will bring you through it. He will make sure that you're standing there, that you have that hope you can hold on to. But here we have this situation where this guy is basically saying, even if God opened the windows of heaven, there's still no hope. You ever seen the little things where somebody says, don't be that guy? The guy that stood there and said, "Even there's no way that can happen. Don't be that guy. It didn't work out well for him. Because guess what? God did perform the miracle. Matter of fact, as you read the story, you find that there were four lepers that were outside the city that were stuck. They couldn't go into the city because of their disease. 
They were out there on their own. And so finally they're talking among themselves. And they said, you know what? We hear that the Syrian army is out there encamped. They're, they're laying siege to the city. Why don't we go turn ourselves on them? Maybe they'll give us something to eat. If not, and they kill us, we're dead men anyway. So they go. But they walk up on an interesting scene. All of a sudden they find the camp is empty and there's stuff strewn everywhere. They find that, that apparently even as the men fled, that they were leaving stuff behind as they were lightening their load to get out of there. And it turns out that God caused them to hear the sound of chariots and horses in the distance to the point that they panic and they skipped out. And so here you have these lepers walking into this encampment with everything in place. Food, clothing, armor, gold, silver. You can just imagine, I pictured them having quite a party for a little bit. I picture them going in there and trying on some of the fine clothes and kicking back on somebody's rest area and, and eating all the food that was left. And, and so they're having a party for a little bit. I mean, they're just enjoying themselves. And then all of a sudden, one of them makes this statement. How can we keep this good news to ourselves? How can we keep this good news to ourselves? If we don't go back and let the city know, something horrible is going to happen to us. I mean, lepers thinking this way. And so they go back and they let the city know. Well, first, the city doubts. It's just a trap. They decide to send some men to check it out. They find out it's true. And so when it's all over, they're standing there and the king sends his captain that he was leaning on to guard the gate as they prepare to open the gates to let people go and partake of the food and the stuff that's out there. And scripture says that as he guarded the gate and as they opened the gate, the people's rushed to get there that he was trampled under. So just as the prophet said, he saw it, but he didn't get to partake. See, there is something about it. There is something about this idea that, and I love what the lepers say. They said, this is a day of good news. If we are silent, punishment will overtake us. See, hope seemed impossible. But God set it up. This story to me applies to us all. We've all probably reached that situation where we're standing and we're thinking, this thing that we're facing seems impossible. How am I going to get over it? How am I going to get past it? Or maybe somebody we love and we care for is facing a situation that seems impossible. But there is always hope. That's the kind of God that we serve. He specializes in doing amazing things. Man, we could spend we could spend months going through times that it's everything seemed hopeless, and all of a sudden the God of the suddenly, as I like to say, showed up on the scene and did something that suddenly changed the, the situation and the and turned it around. Because hope looks different from the perspective of eternity. I want us to look at the second part of Romans 15, 13 there. 
I love the next part where it says, it says that there is joy and peace in believing. Joy and peace in believing. You know what that says to me? That trust is hope's currency. Trust is what we can exchange for hope. The more we trust, the more hope we're able to, in a sense, purchase because of our trust in him. It's not something we can manufacture, but the more we trust him, I've learned the more, the more history I've had following Jesus, the more I dig into and trust what the Bible says, the more hope I have despite circumstances. The more I walk through it, the more I see that again and again, it's like I thought this was going to be the end of it all, and God came through this. And when you develop a little bit of a track record of that, it's easier when you face them and say, you know what, the same God that did all that, he's got this too. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know whatever fashion, but this God, I can trust him because he is the one. He said that there is joy and peace in believing, and that's true. There's trust develops and and grows through time because of his faithfulness. But without trust, without faith, we cannot please God, Scripture says. We read in God's word that he has never failed anyone who put their trust in him. That should do something to our trust level. Man, if we had time today, we could go through and we could probably do testimony every now and then on, on our monthly Sunday night prayer. We'll, we'll, we'll get together and we'll have a time of just people sh- sharing their stories of what God has done. And talk about raising your trust level when you hear of miracle after miracle after miracle of the time when all seems lost and God came through. There's a joy and there's a peace in believing. And as we trust God, we come to realize that He won't give us anything that will harm us spiritually. We face stuff. We face tragedies. But let me say this, and I want to make sure everybody hears this. When we go through difficult times, God is not the attacker. We have one enemy, and it's not God. God is not the attacker. I can't tell you how many times I hear, well, why would God do this to me? And I want to look at him and say, God didn't do that to you. First of all, God didn't make the decisions you made to get you there. Secondly, we have an enemy, and he's very active. <clears throat> because we live in a fallen world. The enemy of our soul is the attacker. You know, think about this. What happened at the very beginning? God created a perfect creation, and the first thing he did was attack it. See, sin causes the suffering on this earth because we live in a fallen, corrupted, disease-filled earth that was that's not the form that it was created in sin is the issue sinful people cause suffering sinful people do things sinful people lie they they blow up marriages and homes they commit crimes they kill people they hurt people and there are spiritual influences that do the same because of this fallen world that we live in god is not the cause of your suffering god is the creator of good Read James 1, 13 through 15. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, for he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives forth death. Some people try to conclude, well, since God made everything, God made evil. But I love St. Augustine's response to this. If you haven't ever read any of St. Augustine's writings, he, he was a scholar that lived back in the first century, roughly around 354 to 430 A.D. And he, he, he has some great insights on this. I love what he says. He says, God is the author of everything in the created universe. Evil in itself is not a thing or a substance, but it is a lack of good. Blindness, like blindness is a lack of sight. Pain is a lack of health. Hate or murder is a lack of love. Therefore, God did not create evil. See, trust is hope's currency. The more we trust, the more we have hope. There are things that we can't change in this life, but there's a joy and there's a peace we can have in believing. Let me say this. Accepting what you cannot change doesn't mean you've given up on hope. Sometimes we say, you know what, I've got to walk through something. I don't know why. I don't like it, but we have to trust that there is a purpose behind it. Praise God, our hope isn't based solely on the knowledge or even on belief. Last thing I want to look at this morning is the last part of that verse in Romans fifteen thirteen. It says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The word abound there means overflow. I just like that picture. I mean, we could get goofy with this. We could picture all of us with these fountains on us overflowing on top of our heads. That'd be kind of goofy. But the truth is, what we're talking about here is that hope has a supernatural source. What does it say? May the God of hope. That's the supernatural source. And then it ends this verse by saying, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. See, live inside of hope. Never just admire it from a distance. You know, there's a, there's a difference between living something out and just admiring it from a distance. We can live inside of hope rather than sit there and look at it and say, boy, it must be nice to have hope like they have. Well, he's the God of hope. You can have that hope. Jesus himself said in Luke 11, 11 through 13, he says, What father among you, if he asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, he will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Trust God and receive the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in us and he's available for us. And he brings with him an abundance of joy and peace. He brings with him an overflow of hope. There's a reason that Jesus said, it's good for you that I go away because when I go away, I, can send, I will send you the comforter. 
This thing that we long for, this comfort, this peace that we hope, that's one of the names of the Holy Spirit. He's available to dwell in us. I said live inside of hope, but really, if we're honest with ourselves, hope can live inside of us. Are you overflowing with hope? Is hope making a difference in your life? Is hope impacting everyone around you? I'm going to read the whole verse again, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. A hope overflow in your life. An inward spring of of hope. We no longer have to live outside of hope, observing it from a distance. We can live inside of hope, never having to admire it from a distance. Hope is, is through the Holy Spirit can live within us. You know, we, we have this idea, what do we say? We say constantly say, well, we, we're, we're filled with the Spirit. And yeah, that's, that's true. We are filled with with the Spirit, we allow Christ to come in, and especially if we seek Him to be completely filled with the Spirit. But, you know, this, uh, to me, there's kind of a wrong connotation we have the idea uh, of being filled. I picture in my mind this, this sponge. A sponge can, can have water in it, but it may be just enough you have to squeeze it to get a little bit out. But if we, look at the, if we look at the original wording for the word being filled with the Spirit, the original wording is being saturated. There's a difference between being filled and being saturated. When you have a saturated spun, all you got to do is just touch it and you get wet. Anything that handles it gets wet. You move it around, it's splashing on everything. That's what I want you to picture this when we're talking about hope overflowing. When we allow him to fill us with his spirit, when we're saturated in his spirit, we can't help but splash a little everywhere we go. We can't help but if somebody touches us, there's a little bit that gets on them. And he says that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Guess what? That's enough hope to share. We're supposed to be getting people wet when we go through life. When somebody encounters us, there should be a little bit that splashes on them. They may not know what it is, but there ought to be something that says, you know, that was a different encounter than I had with somebody else. Sharing is easy when you're overflowing. I hear people sometimes say, well, I don't know how to share this gospel that I have. I don't know how to share about Christ. Well, if it's in you and you're saturated and it's overflowing, it's just who you are. And as you go through life, there should be something that overflows. Think about it. The dis- think about how bold the disciples became after the day of Pentecost. I mean, here are these people that ran. Here's 
Peter that said, I have no clue who you're talking about. I don't know this guy. Then after the day of Pentecost, he's the one that stood up when everybody was asking what was going on and said, excuse me, let me explain this to you. There's a difference. We must get the message that hope. Uh, Here's what I want you to hold on to today. Hope, not hurt, should shape your future. I realize, I tell people many times when I have conversations, I realize I was blessed growing up. Not perfect, but I had a good mother and father. I had good examples as grandparents of, of godly people. That's the environment I was raised in. I was, I was raised in church. I was raised around those things. I wasn't a perfect kid growing up. I, I did some things, but compared to a lot of people, pretty squeaky clean. I realize I'm a blessed man. And I realize that there are people that their life is full of hurt and issues and things and difficulties. But I'm telling you, hope, not hurt, should shape your future. I can't say I've been there. I can't say I've done that. I'd be a liar if I did. But I do know this. You can let the hurts of the past shape your future. Or you can say, you know what? I may have not had the best father. I may have not had the best mother. I may have not had the best situation in my life. But I know a Lord that said, I will be the father to the fatherless. And he backed it up by laying down his life for us. And if we embrace that, hope can be our future instead of the hurt of the past. So when I say what I'm about to say, I want you to understand if that's your background, I am not saying that you're less than a person. I am just telling you, don't let the hurts of the past be your excuse for continuing on failing in life. Not because you're a horrible person. What I'm saying is the price for all those things has already been paid. There is a father that wants to embrace you, that wants to be there for you, that wants to love you and make your tomorrows better than your past. Hope, not hurt, should shape your future. Because the future that he has for you, if you will surrender to him, is full of hope. Scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Ask him, surrender your life to him. And, and, and you can have this joy and this hope even in the grim things of this world. You can have the overflow you can be one of those that all of a sudden where your life has been through difficulty, you can be one of the ones that's actually overflowing and spilling out and touching other lives. 
I've seen some of the greatest soul winners on this earth be people that came from some of the worst circumstances. Because they can look at other people that have had the pain and the difficulty and say, you know what, I understand where you're coming from. But let me tell you, there's hope. There's hope. We'll read Romans 15, 13 one more time as we get some music in the background. May the God of hope fill you, yes, you, with all joy and peace in believing. But there's a purpose for this. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. See, hope looks different from the perspective of eternity. Sometimes we need to get our eyes off the here and now. God, not that I'm telling you, life in Christ, He does make the here and now. He does make this world better. But the focus from a heavenly Father's perspective is eternity. And hope looks different from His perspective. So he says, you know what? There's stuff in life, but I've got you. And when it's all over with, no matter what happens on this earth, you will still be mine. Let's face it. Even the greatest life that we can have on this earth, we're still dying that slow death. I know that sounds depressing, but for a believer, it's not. We had a work day here yesterday. And, and I got out there and worked. And others worked. And I'm finding more and more the recovery isn't as quick as it used to be. I, I pointed when I got out of the shower this morning, this is probably too much information, but I said, look, I am a redneck. It was sunny yesterday. So we face stuff in this life. But thank God there's hope. This morning I woke up excited because I was like, you know, even with stuff going on, I know who's got my future in the palm of his hand. And I may not know how it's all going to shake out. I may not know how it's all going to turn out. But I know this. I win in the end. He's got us. If you haven't embraced that hope, today I challenge you. We've already had one this morning in worship. Praise God for that. But I want everybody to bow your heads for just a moment. Before I pray the prayer of dismissal this morning, I have to ask, is there anybody here that this message of hope 
is somehow stirred in your heart. And you say, you know, I struggle with that sometimes. But I know there is something about that that, that spoke to me this morning. And I'm just, I, I'm brave enough to, to say, you know what, I need that hope. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at and say, I need that hope. I need it. Don't let this moment pass by. Maybe you're here today and at some point in your life you did. You said, you know what, I, I, I gave my life to Christ, but I let just kind of the junk and the cares and the worry of this world kind of cause me to lose hold of that hope. I've kind of allowed these other things to cause turmoil and situations in my life that has caused me to step away from what I know is the truth. And I need to get back to embracing that hope with all my heart again. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Amen. 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 Praise God. Anybody else? I'm going to pray a prayer, and I just want you to repeat this prayer with me, especially if you raise your hand. Lord Jesus, I know I can trust you. And I also know that sometimes I let the cares of this world cause me to doubt. But today, I lay my doubts at the foot of the cross. I know that you are the God of hope. Help me to trust you more and to embrace what I know is true and walk in your hope because I know that hope looks different from the perspective of eternity. Thank you for it, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.